Hello and welcome to the O&M Stockroom. We're your hosts, Brian McGarry and Ken O'Malley. Tonight is episode 26 of Complimentary Cinema. If you are new to the channel, Complimentary Cinema is a program where we review and discuss films that you can watch for free that are available on YouTube. Please be warned, we discuss these films in detail, so consider this a full spoiler alert. So these free movies, usually uh, we pick them on, you know, the YouTube free with ads thing, but we usually watch them with ad blocker so we don't suffer through the ads. Not that we would necessarily condone. I mean, that's a pro tip for everyone at home, you know. I mean, you It's know, good to know. It's just good to know that there are ad blockers that keep you from having to uh, to watch the ads. Um, I'd also like to point out that tonight we didn't just watch it on a computer like we normally would. We actually watched it in the living room uh, through the television YouTube, and uh, it did not have ad block. It was very unfortunate. It was incredibly unfortunate. I don't recommend it. As somebody who uh, despises uh, commercials, uh, it was painful. So uh, it's been a while. We took a little bit of a hiatus while we were recording this. And uh, we don't really uh, remember whose turn it was to pick. So I think I kind of just made a decision to just watch probably the crappiest film that we could find. And that was Mexican Gangster. But we didn't uh, go with Mexican Gangster. We started Mexican Gangster. But we only made it about 10 minutes. We made it about 10 minutes. And uh, it was so fucking bad that uh, we... I think it's the first time we've ever have actually stopped a movie that we were watching. Yes. Yeah. It was uh, literally just like some guys filming stuff. Like, I don't even know what it was. Uh, it was a bunch of, of gangster wannabes. Like, like gangster mafia wannabes trying to make a movie reminiscent of, oh man, that Edward James almost film from the early 90s, American Me. Like they, they saw stuff like that. They probably saw Scarface and they thought to themselves, let's make a movie like that. And it wasn't any, no. It was completely incomprehensible. Incomprehensible. So we actually uh, didn't watch that movie. And instead, uh, we decided to go with Savage Creatures from 2020, uh, written and directed by Richard Lowry. And uh, yeah, so that was uh, tonight's film. So uh Ken, why don't you take it from there? So we have three primary criteria that we judge movies on. Uh, so just we, we keep an eye out for these as we're watching. And that's are they well written? Are they well acted? And are they well produced? I kind of feel like those three criteria basically sum up, is a movie any good or not? Yeah, I mean, for, for our purposes. You know, for our purposes. So what uh, does this film... Uh, does this film savage creatures does it fulfill these requirements let's find out so uh let's talk about our cast of characters a little bit we have uh i wouldn't build this guy first but he's listed first on imdb he's the he's the biggest actor in the bunch so as in he's actually been in other films right uh that a couple of people have actually seen so we have greg travis as father cooper and I think I'm pronouncing this correctly. Sean Akata as Liz. You have Victoria Stedman as Ursula. Ryan Quinn Adams as Darby. And Kelly Brown as Rose. So uh, let's have the lay of the land here. So this movie starts out about a mom and her son who are cannibals and <laughs> and the beginning of the movie is them abducting a woman we don't see the abduction we just see her tied up in the car on their way home it's a great scene because it starts off in the american southwest in the desert and they're just kind of driving along in a, in a fucked up minivan with newspapers uh, blocking the back windows, like taped up. Mm -hmm. You don't quite see that they're newspapers at first, but you see that there's something in the window and 
you see that their newspapers later on, which I think you and I agreed was probably the most sketchiest, suspicious thing that you could do to your vehicle. They, they could have just put like those baby screens in the back, like block the light out. Sure. And that would have been totally not suspicious. Yeah. Like the little suction cups. Yeah. But instead, they're just driving around with newspapers up, and they have this uh, tied-up girl in the back of their car just driving along happily. And then uh, in one of the worst transition scenes I've seen in a long time, it's just, boom, they're suddenly uh, in a cold, mountainous area with snow. It's kind of jolting. Yeah. They, they just drove a couple states across, it looked like, to get from one place to the other. I, mean, I could see like if they were in New Mexico driving up into Colorado or something that would make sense. Right. But that's never really communicated exactly where they are. No. Just somewhere west-ish. And the rest of the movie just takes place where they end up. So it really was pointless to show, you know, them coming from anywhere else. It didn't really establish anything other than that like they like to go for, for long, pleasant Sunday drives. So anyway, they they pick this woman up from somewhere. And they've drugged her. They bring her into their house. They lay her on a bed and drug her some more. That's what I think, yeah. At first we thought they were going to revive her, but it looked like they just kept shooting her up with drugs. Right. And then they put her in a bathtub and chopped her up. Yes. And there was uh, and it was a great, great moment. Uh, so, so the guy doing the <laughs> chopping... <laughs> So the guy doing the chopping, he's uh, Darby is is the name. Right. He's this very portly ginger, uh, happy-ish looking man who's just like, oh, I, you know, we got a, we got a girl home. What are we gonna do? You don't know at first what's going on. Yeah. You know, he's like, are they gonna, are they gonna rape this girl? Or are they just gonna murder her? We don't know. Like it's something religious too, because you hear him praying before this part. They're religious nuts. Yeah. And they have a picture of Mormon Jesus in their living room. You don't know what's going on. Uh, but before he finally does her in, he they, he puts puts her in this nice uh, clawfoot bathtub. And he goes to the cupboard. And he picks out a steak knife. Yes. I mean, like a like a five dollar target steak knife. That you would use to cut up a reasonably cooked steak. And where it's stored in that closet is on top of a stack of towels. What if, uh, you know, like, what if, just hypothetically, uh, he got caught in the rain or something, right? Mm-hmm. Or he got, you know, maybe the car stalled somewhere. And he had to, he had to, he had to slog back to the house for a while. He comes home. He's dirty. He's filthy. He hops into the bath, you know, gets cleaned up. He gets out. Oh, I didn't put out a fresh towel. And then he goes to the linen closet and reaches in and slices himself on this cheap ass steak knife because it's sitting on some fucking towels in the linen closet in the bathtub. Yes. Yes. But complete pandemonium. I just not, not not very safety conscious is all I'm saying, but that's not where a knife belongs. It's not where the knife belongs. But beside the point, he uses so we use the steak knife to stab this girl in the chest to you know kill her. You would think a slitting her throat or something would be more effective, but whatever. After he after he kills her, he then reaches into the same linen closet and what does he pull this time, Ken? He pulled out a full axe, an axe in the linen closet in the bathroom. Just hanging out with the uh, the scented uh, soaps, the and like, you know the candles and the uh, and the and the washcloths and like and we, the axe. We see the closet. It's not like it's a tool closet or something like that. It, it is literally a bathroom closet that happens to have a knife and a hatchet in it. Not even a hatchet. It was a full blown axe. I for chopping wood. Not not even a hatchet. I mean a a fucking axe. Yeah. A three-foot-long axe. Yeah. Something that you would see in American Psycho, an axe. And it's just hanging out in the in the bathroom closet. Now, if this house was run down and, and, and shitty, okay, it might make sense. But it's a very nice, fairly, you know, well-decorated uh, modern home out in the sticks. 
you know, it's, it's, you know, very upper middle class vibe. You just don't have an ax hanging out in the closet, but, but they do. So they chop, so they chop this woman up and then they cook her and eat her and they say grace too. Yeah. That was, that was my favorite part. They were very grateful for all of the obviously not human flesh bits that they were showing close-ups of when they were cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also, I did like the touch though, is as he's chopping her up before dinner, uh, all of the uh, spirit Halloween props that they kept pulling out of the bathtub. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like uh, the obviously fake, super fake leg with the, uh, the jeans and the, and, arm. and the blood. And it's just amazing how well, uh, how clean the cuts were on each piece of flesh mm-hmm. that they kept pulling out. Um, I, I was impressed because I know personally speaking, I don't have a lot of experience chopping up bodies, but personally I would think that if you had a nice flat surface to lay the, uh, to lay the individual upon before chopping, even then I think I'd have a pretty hard fucking time getting a nice clean cut unless it was an incredibly sharp ax. Yeah. But I just don't see that being the case. No. And so. it's, the blade wouldn't even be big enough to get a full chop. It really wasn't. But so we have some suspiciously uh, clean chops going on. And while this is and while they're cleaning up after dinner, we see lot. Oh, even in the beginning credits and at this scene, we see ooh spooky, mysterious meteors from space. Yeah. That's another thing that's happening. That's another thing that's kind of happening in the background is that there's there's meteors falling from the sky and landing nearby. And it even like causes a, a, just a tiny little earth tremor. A little bit, you while know. she's like cleaning the dishes. And enough to open up the cupboards and kind of startle this woman. So, uh, you know, they eat, they, they wake up, they, they go about their business. They're out driving again the next day and... They find a couple of very skinny girls kind of walking out in the middle of nowhere on a deserted road. And, you know, we, we now know what they're up to. You know, these so-called Christian people just aren't maybe the most Christ-like specimens of humanity. They're looking for more fresh meat, and they find it in these, these two wayfish women, and they pull around and offer them a ride. Like, hey, where are you heading? Oh, we're heading out west. Yeah, well, you know, we can take you, take you a ways. You know, very polite, very you know on the level, and they hop in the the, the murder van, and they uh, they're on their way. And uh, we find out Liz, that's the name of the uh, the mother in this situation, and Darby, the fat boy, like, no, you know, they live uh, not too far from a certain spot, and they can, oh, you know, we can give you a shower, we can feed you, you know, you're welcome to come over in these. The two waves are like, oh, hey, you know, that'd be cool. We can, we can dig that. So they get him back to the house and uh, very awkwardly Darby shows him where the bath bathrooms are so they can get cleaned up. And they talk about, you know, having some food and separately, both, uh, both girls are kind of looking around, looking for money, looking for whatever they can get. Yeah. It turns you know. out their intentions are just to, you know, steal some stuff and then. Get out of there. Yeah. Which, you know, they're just hitchhikers, they're you just, know, you know, they're, they're just trying, they're just trying to move along. Right. Meanwhile, listen, Darby are saying, Oh, you know, they're, the Lord has blessed us, blessed us with these, these, you know, all this extra meat that's going to last us a good long while, even though they're a little skinnier than I'd like. And they, you know, they concoct the plan on how to, you know, drug them and, you know, get them knocked out and everything. And they implement that plan. They get them separated and they, they try to inject them with some drugs and knock them out. And, uh, it's not necessarily as clean either. You know, there's like a little, they put up a little bit of resistance after they get uh, injected, but it still kind of overpowers them. Overpowers them. Yeah. And these, and these girls too did have a, they did talk amongst themselves at one point and, Decided that the place was kind of weird and they should yeah, get out of there. They got a creepy vibe. So we end up with, uh, oh, and the girl's name, you know, Ursula and Rose. Ursula, the dark-haired one, gets, uh, well, she gets hogtied and thrown up in the in the bathtub. And Darby goes and grabs his steak knife. And he plunges it deep into Ursula. And then he goes for the axe. And he chops off her hand. And he turns around and her hand's back on her arm. Yeah. 
and he chops it off again mm-hmm. and it falls to the floor again yeah and he looks up again and the hand is back it's there on the girl's arm it's still there what the fuck yeah so at this point he's just like staring at it like what the hell is going on and then you see the the door kind of open up behind him and it's Rose, the other girl coming in and she makes some smart remark about, I don't know, screwing with the wrong people. And then it turns out that she's a vampire. Rose and Ursula are both vampires. So she just, you know, rushes him, bites him in the neck and then starts rummaging through a pack to find a wooden stake and mallet that are in there. So that way he doesn't turn because you don't want competition. Right, exactly. So after they dispose of Darby, uh, the two vampires are sitting in the bathroom kind of reminiscing about some old times. And they talk about, you know, in Bulgaria, the last time they really got impaled or maimed and it was painful. They seem uh, immortal and impervious to such things, but they still feel uh, experience pain and discomfort when these things happen, which makes sense. Meanwhile, Liz, the crazy mother, is out uh, getting more cleaning supplies because they were not prepared to clean up the mess of killing more people. Uh, two, since there was two people, that was going to throw off their whole routine. But by the time she comes home, her son has been killed and she finds him in the tub with the stake through him. And when she goes downstairs to try to figure out what's going on, the girls also surprise her and she pulls out a gun and obviously, you know, shoots the shoots them, but it doesn't do anything to them. So they just kill her too. So at this point, we transitioned from a cannibal movie into a vampire movie. And the vampires now at this point also discovered that the original people were cannibals. They really had a lot more in common than, than they thought. Right. Rose finds the freezer that has heads in it, body more, parts. More spirit Halloween parts. A really, really bad looking fake foot. They have a good laugh about it. You know, just the, the uh, kind of ironic, interesting circumstance. So they, they do end up staying the night. They end up taking up their uh, Liz and Dar- Darby's offer and they stay the night. And they even they even actually take a bath, Ken. Yeah, in they fact, sure do. In fact, the two vampires are lesbian lovers, and they take a bath in blood. Yep, and they're, a, they're drinking it. A romantic, candlelit uh, blood bath, and they uh, talk about how good and fresh the blood is from these two good Christian people, and how years and decades of of consuming American blood in the 21st century with all of the drugs and, and bad food and everything is really dulling their senses and making them crappy vampires and how they're pathetic now because they're feasting on crappy American blood. Can you imagine how that McDonald's blood would be? It's got to be terrible. And I, uh, that was one of my favorite parts of the movie, Ken. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, it, it was ham fisted. It was not elegantly done, but I enjoyed that moment. See, I, I did. I did. I know we're, we're kind of jumping ahead, but I did enjoy just the way they treated their own little world, you know, as far as like the vampires and how they were specifically in this movie. I did appreciate that. Yeah. So they decide. Uh, so they, they, they wake up the next morning and uh, the next day it's five in the afternoon. We find yeah, out. that's true. And they got the radio turned on and they hear like this report about these meteors that are, have been just happening in the background of the film. And it turns out that there's a reporter on the scene and like one of them opens and out this like terrible fleshy alien comes and starts attacking people. And we hear, you know, that that get, gets cut out. Then these aliens are attacking the radio station. The station gets cut out. So apparently the aliens are in these meteors and now they're taking over. So we started with a, a a cult murderer movie. Yes. You know, like a horror thriller of sorts. But it's actually a... Va- no, not a vampire movie. It's also an alien invasion movie. 
And and the aliens are creating zombies. Holy shit. We have a we have a slasher flick meets uh vampires meets alien invasions meets zombies. That is correct. Which, which also comes around to just being generally apocalyptic. So we have a a multi-genre film here. Which was uh so that's what we have. And this is a 75-minute film, by the way. They're packing an awful lot into a pretty short space of time. So they, uh, Rose and Ursula decide, okay, well, you know, let's get out of here. Hey, that's a good plan. I like that plan. But Rose hears some screaming when they're, when they're leaving the house, which turns to Ursula, well, I need to see this with my own eyes. And here's where... Here's where I roll my eyes because a, if you're hearing screaming when you're out in the sticks, I imagine if you go much of anywhere, you're going to see with your own eyes soon enough. Secondly, just get on the damn road. And, and third, you're a vampire. What do you care? Just go. Yeah. And also, uh, at that point, we kind of realized, oh, we're just going to keep staying in the in this house that we've had most of the movie in. Yeah. That basically becomes the de facto set. It was kind of a bait and switch because like, you thought they were going to go out and do something, and then they just went right back to the house because when they find the aliens, they've turned some people into zombies, and the zombies now all attack them. And so they have to run back to the house to, to find a, a safe place to be. So they go back to the house. There's zombies outside. They see a fat old priest and a very young looking nun uh, with guns shooting zombies running towards their house. They let them in. Uh, the- they, they had discovered themselves uh, when they were fighting those zombies, the first ones that if they shot them in the head and that took care of it. In typical zombie fashion. Yeah. They, they'd seen a couple movies. You know, Dawn of the Dead. The classics. The classics. So anyway, so uh, the priest, Father Cooper, played by Greg Travis, uh, he's probably best known as one of the news correspondents from Starship Troopers. And he's been in some other stuff. That's our that's our big star of the film. Yeah, he he goes all out. He, 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 he goes extra on he, this one. He goes full throttle for every minute that he's on screen. Does he overact, Ken? Uh, only every moment that he's on screen. Only every moment that he's on screen. Yeah, he's pretty extra. He even he even does this really bad Irish accent, like he's a good Irish Catholic priest. It's, it's real inconsistent. It's very inconsistent, much like his career. Just imagine, you know, the pinnacle of your career, being in Starship Troopers for two minutes, and over 20 years later, you're in this uh, direct-to-YouTube flick. That's how it goes. Yeah. That's how it goes. That's show business. So, uh, yeah. So anyway. Yeah. They so just, they, they really just want an excuse to have a priest and a nun with guns and close-ups of the shooting. Yeah. And I'm all for that. And, and just like tension between obviously vampires aren't going want anything to do with religious people. You know, the priest has got the holy water and, and the cross a and he's like, and... kiss the crucifix. It'll help you. And that was really damn funny. Actually, it was. I liked that. That was good. You know, see, like, like good comedy stems from the situation. And it wasn't really supposed to be funny. I think either that's another reason why it was funny. Yeah, it was probably it was supposed to be ridiculous, but it's it, I think it was meant to be funny. Yeah, I guess maybe not like, you know, he not the way I took it, though. Ridiculous is funny too. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. We're getting kind of kind of bogged down here. Well, the just basically there's tension between between them because the priest, as he's uh, trying to like bless the scene, he finds the bodies of the cannibals, and he knew those people personally. They were saintly. So he's basically figures out that uh, these people are vampires. Well, he doesn't quite figure out the vampires first. Uh, he realizes first that they're feminists. Yeah. 
and in evil and demonic feminists. Yes. Which was also very funny. He solved that mystery. He, he sure did very quickly. So very soon, you know, the priest gets dispatched. The nun gets dispatched. Our two vampire heroines, uh, the real stars of this piece of shit, end up, you know, leaving. They, they, they get out of that house. They go for a nice long drive. There's this great establishing shot of this nice big city, Ken, at night. And then in close up when they're in town, what do we see? Uh, it's just another small town Main Street. Just another small town Main Street. It's yeah. literally probably the town that the the house they were shooting at is in, in the middle of nowhere in America somewhere. Yes. And uh, yeah, it's just a little Main Street. But they find that in the city that the aliens have taken over there too. So they drive back out to the country. And they, they kind of hole up in a place and uh, Ursula does a little bit of dissection on one of these vagina-ish monsters. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the anatomy of these things is very... It reminds me a little bit of the underside of a facehugger from Alien. I was going to say they're they're really poor facehugger ripoffs because they're like person-sized, but there's no like... The reason that makes a facehugger terrifying is that it's got the like appendage that shoots down your throat. Yeah. You know, and just the, the face-hugging nature of it. That's what makes that terrifying. This thing, there's no clear like, like what's it doing to you? It just like sits on their chest and like makes pulsing noises. Like it's sucking it out of them. I don't know. Yeah, it punctures their chest or something. But you never really see anything that would puncture. Right, that's what you I'm saying. You see more female-ish anatomy, let's just say. Yeah. So basically, they're they're rubber vaginas that are person sized, floating around, taking over the world. It just they need the like the director needs therapy. I mean, I think we <laughs> I think we can agree on that. I'm just saying they tried to rip off Facehugger, but they they the part that's terrifying about it they didn't capture at all. Well, it's, it's just like a big fleshy stingray, which is kind of like what they said too. The Facehuggers and aliens, they're very spider like and they're fast. And they're they're there's something unnerving about them. And they're kind of bony. They're bony, and they're like they look. Here's the, I mean, they look strong and threatening. Yeah. These just look like floppy, like 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 almost like 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 pussy ish luggage is how I would best describe wow. it. I'm just gonna go there. Wow. It's like suitcase sized, like vagina bags that Amazing. are just randomly floating around. Very bad CGI. I don't know how else to describe it. That's what these things are. Yeah. I suspect that they only made one, two, and then they just moved it around. Oh, absolutely. Everywhere. Just like they filmed this whole movie basically in one house and just kept switching rooms. Yeah. And sometimes not even that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. they they filmed that, that part at the end or in that scene where they're cutting it open. That was like the last day they filmed with it so they could like ruin that one prop. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, so, so Ursula's, di- you know, she, she's dissecting this thing. And she's, she has these comically large glasses, which I, I really dug, you know, making her look all smart. Like, Ooh, I'm, I'm doing science, a vampire science. She finds the brain, which is also a heart. Yeah. That because makes like sense. everything else in this film, it's a convoluted amalgamation of other things. So, so it goes. And long story short, the, the vagina bags, you know, come in and try to incapacitate them and try to, you know, kill them. And it doesn't work because they don't have souls. They're immune to the, to the invasion. So they, so they basically just take off on foot and just roam the countryside killing these things. Yeah. That's our movie. They found some hand crossbows and they just found the, since now they know how to kill them, they're just taking them out as they go. And every time they, they, one gets shot, Ken, what does it sound like? It sounds like a little squeaky dog toy. Basically, like the little squeaky, squeaky. Yeah, it's, but like a long squeak, it's not re- like not like a fast squeak, but a long one. It's just funny that that's that's all they could get. No, nothing terrifying sounding, nothing growling, like just like a gurgle or something. Nothing. It's like, yep, yeah. So I, it's real bad. It di- it did not match my mental image of what those things might sound like. Yeah, agreed. That's so it goes. They didn't even need to make a sound at that point. I, they could have just fallen out of the sky. They could have just gotten some some music from the free YouTube library. 
something uh, heavy metal and just be like. I'm just saying, like a hearty squish sound would have been fine. That would have been good too. So yeah, that's that's how that movie went. So that's that's that movie. So let's uh, let's critique this a little bit. Sure. So uh, so first of all, the majority of this movie took place in one house. One house. That's someone's house. This is not a set. It's just someone's house. It's definitely someone's house. I'm I'm gonna guess it's the director's aunt. Yeah. Or maybe it's his stepmother's. We don't know. Yeah, yeah. We don't know. But what I can tell you. Is that it's definitely someone's house mm-hmm. because in the all of the axe chopping scenes in the bathroom, there is zero blood spatter. Yeah. Why? Because Aunt Whitney does not want you to get fake blood all over her good towels. Yep. And she does not want to be cleaning that up out of the uh, the tiles and the uh, the porcelain. There was the there was very small use of blood effects in the house, and it was very contained. Incredibly contained. So they showed great restraint with that house. Incredibly, re- incredible restraint too. And they never broke like windows or anything either. Like oh, nothing. They, 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 at one point, the nun lady opened a window to shoot someone out the window to close the window again. Yes. Just <laughs> which, let, let, let's be fair, that actually makes sense. If you're trying to hold up in a place, it Bullshit. doesn't. It doesn't help to just smash all the windows and start shooting out. I'm just saying though. But that's what usually happens if in this. This is a Hollywood zombie. They would have thrown a chair through the window and then started (laughs) shooting with a minigun. Yes. But that's not what we get here. No. So, yeah. So, so So it was a nice house. It was a nice house. It was good to shoot in. You know, you got a a good feel for the first floor because you were there a lot for like the layout. Yes. And, you know, it had its rooms and each room had its use. And it was just the house was too well decorated for this budget of film to just be a set. Agreed. It was definitely somebody's house. Yeah. And so it they, was like they left it decorated exactly how whoever left there, yes. lived there, you know, had Oh, it. Yeah, yeah. They didn't change a thing because, well, they needed to be able to clean it all up before before bedtime. <laughs> or maybe even before dinner, depending on the day. Yeah. And uh, so, so there's that. And then you have all of the quote unquote zombies that we see, which are just... Basically, the friends. Yeah, those are just and people from the town. Just people from the they town. They put some makeup on. Not even much. Just just some some white powder and a bunch of like uh, primary colored shirts with holes in the middle mm-hmm. where the uh, the vagina bags came and punctured them. And they're just and they're running around and they're, these people are barely containing like their glee at being in a movie. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> hey, I'm a zombie in a movie. I'm running around. It's pretty great. It is great. Yeah. And then, uh, having been raised Catholic, how would you rate? How would you rate the uh, the costumes for the priest and the uh, the nun? They were pretty bad. They were as again spirit Halloween props. I think so. They were baggy and not the finest material. I mean, the nun one especially, the, like especially later after she tussled around a little bit, yeah. like part of it got like pulled out. Yeah, and it just it just looked bad. Yes. But it was effective for a film of, I mean, of this caliber. It was just to get the picture of who they were and make it really clear. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time in real life you saw a nun in an actual habit? It's been a very long time. I mean, I've seen it more recently than you would expect, but... I, I believe that, but it's not exactly what I would call an everyday occurrence in no. normal life. No, and. Catholicism has really gone away from that sort of thing. Yeah. It's not very with the times. It still exists, but, you know. When when I was growing up and I was taking communion uh, catechism classes 30 years ago, Ken, all of the nuns were, were they were middle-aged, but they were hip. Mm-hmm. Okay? They wore sweater vests and they had jeans. Yeah. You know, and white pumps. Right. But it doesn't scream Catholic nun. No. In, in a film like this, it's it, it's a it's a costume. It's very clearly a costume. Very clearly. And then I'm pretty sure that the uh, the two vampires were just wearing clothes that they wanted to wear in this film. Yeah, yeah, they were just wearing normal clothes. Just and normal clothes. The only thing was they had their skin all covered up while they were outside, and they had like baseball caps on and sunglasses and yeah. scarves. Yeah. Oh, and it was set around Christmas time too, December twenty third, I think. It was, which yeah. had no bearing on the movie, but none. It just it was Christmas time when they filmed it, 
Yes. So there were Christmas decorations like in the town or in the house. And that's just what it was. Aunt Whitney had the Christmas tree up in the house. There was a bow on the door. And we had to just, you couldn't take down any of her decorations. If you wanted to make your little movie, you had to leave everything where it was and put it back when you were done. So technically this is a Christmas movie. It is a Christmas movie. Just in case you need a, you know, cannibal, vampire, alien, zombie movie for your Christmas routine. Yeah, you know, I think we can add this in the uh, the catalog with uh, Die Hard and Gremlins yeah. and Krampus for, for the great uh, non-Christmas Christmas movie. Yeah. Like it. I like it. So uh, let's talk a little bit about film editing, cinematography. I definitely think that was a, I think we can agree that was a high point of this film. The, the photography was pretty good. Um, like I said earlier, you didn't feel lost when you were in places, you know, you, you, you were in, in this house for a long time, but you had a good sense of where you were, which is, that's good. You know, they filmed it well to, to capture that. Um, that stuff outside was good. Like it was all competent. Especially after watching the first 10 minutes or so of Mexican gangsters. I mean, that would make you appreciate anything after watching that. Just a few minutes of that really, really wet the palate for quality. And uh, this looked like Citizen Kane by comparison. Yeah. Um. Yeah, definitely the... Just the, the visual quality was, was, was much, much, much improved. Um, it elevated this film, I think, for me mm-hmm. over what it would have been if that had been been less. It definitely helped it punch punch up a little bit. It did. It, it does punch above its height. Yeah. Uh, some of the special effects weren't the best, but they were completely passable and serviceable. Mm-hmm. I like the editing was decent as far as... Editing was decent, and the paces... Uh, as far as what they had to deal with. Now, now, the pacing is interesting, because you essentially have several genres in this film, mm-hmm. and you have a couple different storylines in there, and it's only a 75-minute film, mm-hmm. but it's a dense 75-minute film. You feel like you're getting a little more movie than than you might otherwise. And it's almost like, you know, you got a couple films cramped into one instead of having, you don't have a traditional act structure either. You don't. It's not like there's a peak somewhere in this movie where you're going to, and then, you know, the falling action afterwards. Yeah. It's just like peak, dip, peak, dip, peak, dip, and then the movie's over. Which I, does it work? It doesn't really. It doesn't. Um. I guess the first one works, but then like at the end of that part, I said out loud, like, and that's the end of the movie. Like when the, the zombie, the vampires killed the cannibal people mm-hmm. and like took their bath. I was like, well, all right, well that, that's, that's its own little movie right there. You could have made a movie out of just that and that's, just That's like a short story. And then another short story of, uh, you know, vampires wake up and they find out that the aliens are attacking and they have to defend their, you know, where they they're living. That's the next movie. And the third movie is vampires finding out aliens' weakness and going and hunting them down. That's so like three. I feel like the big miss for this film was staying in the house. So they they brought the religious characters to them. Yeah. What they should have done. If they really wanted to make this a bigger movie than it was. Go find a crappy place somewhere else to be a crappy church. Yeah. And have have the second act take place there. They could have found like a tiny little country church. We just we that would have expanded upon the world. Yeah. It would have I, I feel like it would have done a lot of a lot of, for this film just to have another location like that. Because you get bored of looking at Aunt Whitney's house. Mm. You just don't want to see it after a few. And you can't get out of there. And also, too, the zombies just keep magically getting inside somehow. It's not exactly a well-protected house. Yeah. It's not a very sturdy house in that regard. The zombies just let themselves in. That's how the priest and the uh, the nun get it. They get 
just run over by a bunch of zombies inside the house. So it's not like the house was a great place anyway. Right. In terms of the story. I really feel like they just should have picked a church or found a place to be a church for that whole other part of that story to take place. Yeah. And they could have introduced maybe another character or two. Mm-hmm. At least, you know, at least for the body count to see some actual people instead of just some disembodied voices screaming to actually see some more carnage to up the ante. Well, given the absolute string budget that this movie must have been on, I understand why they did what they did. I understand too. What I'm saying is they should have maybe gotten a couple more paychecks from the gas station that they were working at and put it in to making some kind of a second act for this. Yeah. That's fair. I'm just saying, I it would have been worth the wait. It's not like we're going anywhere, Ken. Yeah. There's many, many movies to watch, and this was one of them. True. And we may have gotten around to it anyway. We did watch it. We did watch it. <laughs> and that's our glowing review. It's a film that we watched. It's a film. So uh, let's uh, let's revisit our three criteria, Ken. Well, could we could we talk about the writing just for a second? Let's talk about the writing. Because this was a a writer and director kind of project here. Yes, uh, Richard Lowry was the director for this. So I would say it was fairly well directed. The some of the performances are better than others. I feel like Rose was pretty good as the the more. Um, she was the more. She was the blonde vampire. She was the more in charge of vampire, I guess. She was the she was the she was the one who wore the pants in the vampire lesbian relationship. Yeah. She probably gave the best performance, I would say. I, I would say I, I, I took both vampires uh equally uh seriously. I would also say that the the creepy mom and and son cannibal at the beginning were pretty good. They didn't overdo it. Mm-hmm. The the only weakness that I have with the vampires acting, it was a little too. So th- these vampires are supposed to be over four hundred years old, according to this script. They did not conduct themselves uh, through mannerisms or through speech in a way that would convey that. They very much talked like a couple of girls in their very early 20s mm. acting in a film. Yeah. So that kind of broke that suspension of disbelief for me a little bit. I gotcha. But they, I'll say this though, they gave it their best. They get A for effort. Yeah. In both counts. Yeah. They did pretty well with what they had to work with. They did. And, and after you've been watching them for a little bit, you kind of get used to their... To their performance. I'm like, I didn't think about that so much. The like, you know, they mentioned it like kind of a throwaway line about that being around for a really long time. But then after that, I kind of just forgot about it anyway. I didn't forget. I'm like the elephant. I, I never forget such things. It's that stupid little detail that you give me. Yeah. And the reason that I, I couldn't forget about it is because when they talk, when they have that throwaway line, the way that they're talking about it, was in having if you've talked to anybody who's been around for a while they just don't speak and act in the way that these young women did i'm just saying there's just some i know there's they're young physically and they're immortal but you they, wanted a little a little deeper they didn't they didn't land it they didn't land it yeah they didn't stick the land. Fair enough. That's all I can say about it. For this quality movie, they did great. They did great for this quality of film. And I would actually, uh, I'll even say this, I would even watch a sequel to this. Yeah. I would. <laughs> I, I would be interested to see if they could do better. I would be interested to see where they would take a story like this. Because they were trying to do something... Uh, you know, uh, the director, Richard Lowry, he was trying to do something a little different. Yeah. He was trying to, to 
he was kind of throwing a, a little bit of this and a little bit of that into the pot and seeing seeing what would come out. And I like that. I like that idea. I like that they were trying to do something that would, you know, be be its own thing while ripping off like eight other things. That's it's almost like it's almost a shame they wasted some of the concept on jamming so much of it into one movie. Well, here's the thing though. There's Evil Dead. There's Evil Dead 2, which is Evil Dead again. Yeah. And then you have Army of Darkness, which is basically Evil Dead 2 and then throwing it back into the Middle Age. So there's no reason to think that we couldn't have a Savage Creatures 2 and basically have it be the exact same movie, but better. (laughs) Oh, no. I'm just saying there is a precedent for such a thing. We should write in to see if Savage Creatures 2 is a is a possibility. They they should and they should for the second act this time find an honest to god country church to film a scene in. And you know what I'm thinking? What's that? Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs? We we got to get dinosaurs or pirates involved for the next installment. There are a lot of there are a lot of uh, different little tropes. You know, they, what if they found another band of of vampire survivors? That would have been great. That's a you great know, concept. That's the they, see, see, see that that's where that's where the second one will will veer off into something interesting. See, I think the second movie could be even more interesting because in the first movie, too, another throwaway line at the end is they're going to go to blood banks. That's their next, you know. Since, yeah, they want to go to blood banks. Since people might be dying. Yeah. What if they had like to battle other vampires for for? So you get like a Walking Dead situation, but instead of holding up in a uh, in a prison, they're holding up in blood banks. Yeah, and you're having you're having groups of it's vampires fight each other. Wow, see that would be great. So, uh, people make that movie. We'll watch. Yeah. And then we'll make fun of it here on our podcast. (laughs) So our three primary criteria is the film well-written. Is it well-directed? Is it well-acted? Fuck. I even fucked up my own three criteria. That's amazing. The three criteria is, is it well-written, well-acted, and well-produced, which can include direction. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about the first one. Ken, was this movie well-written? Um, no. It was not well written. It wasn't badly written. But it's definitely not a masterpiece of, uh, of dialogue or story. It was serviceably written. It, it was fun at times. I'll give it that. It was fun sometimes. I'm just saying, like, you could have done a lot more within this framework. With the script. And they will in Savage uh, Creatures 2 when they fight the roaming, the roving bands of other vampires. It's just, it's, there's too many things where it's too easy to improve upon to say it's anything else. Well, we're also looking, uh, we're on the outside looking in as well. We have the hindsight and perspective of having gone into this film completely blind. I'm just saying, I think it could have read read this script and, and maybe had a few suggestions. I don't think I had to see the fin- finished product first. Okay, well, I'm just saying, the uh, the director of this film is also known for making such other great films as Dominion and President Evil and Rapture and Lilitu, okay? I'm sure these are high-quality pictures. I kind of want to watch all of them at this point. I want to see how much better of a movie we could have made. Yeah. I want to see some other movies they've written. Maybe see if we got a pattern developing too. They just, I, they I just like to throw a lot of things in a movie. Yeah, kind of like kind of like has. Yeah. With his transhumanist science. Fu- see, I didn't hate this though. Uh, I didn't hate this either. I, I did enjoy it at times. Yeah. I was only annoyed about it maybe 25% of the time. Yeah. Half the time I was waiting for what was going to happen next and... One quarter of the time, I was genuinely enjoying myself. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's a, that's a you know reasonable breakdown. Uh, so was it well acted? I think we talked about that a little bit. Um, well, for the most part, they showed up. They recited their lines. As far as we know, there weren't any extra scenes that they couldn't film because people were showing up to the set drunk or strung out on heroin. If you if you take all the people at face value, their characters are pretty well acted. 
Like, if you take them face value, what they're supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. B minus. B minus. Okay. Uh, well produced. Um, For being set in a single house and very minimal sets otherwise or locations otherwise, uh, I'd say sure. With You know, they had some good camera angles. They had some drone footage. They had some special effects. And I mean like computer-generated effects. They fell super flat on the monster. But they had one. They did. They had one. They had one. I'm just thinking of other films that have used sparkly technology to kind of blind you and then not show you anything. Again, I'm making fun of Haz. Yeah. If you've listened to our show before, you know what we're talking about. Low-hanging fruit. Low-hanging fruit. Because those movies I did hate. Yeah, production was, it was good. So was, I guess considering. For being a 75-minute movie, I, I will free say, on YouTube. I will say sound was a bit shoddy. They had a, they blew out the, they blew out the microphones a couple times when they were yelling or shouting. Yeah. Like they peaked a couple times and it was super obvious. Okay. So sound production sucked, but sound visually, sound, visually sound they're the okay. Best. Sound sucked, but visually they I mean, were good. It was okay. It was okay. As we say with our static image of some crappy drawing that we just throw <laughs> up every week. Insert here. <laughs> so, would you say that you recommend this film? Yeah, why not? If, if you want to watch something dumb for a while, but not too long. Like, like let's say you're having just like a long... Okay, so let's say you come home from work, right? You got a pizza in the oven... You, you want to just put something on while the pizza's cooking and then while you eat the pizza and then while you're digesting the pizza and too lazy to get up to clean up, this movie is perfect. I guess I would say it's it's short enough and it's worth wasting a little time on. It's not... If this was a two-hour film or a two-and-a-half-hour film, it would not be worth the time commitment. But that's where that, that length really comes in handy, I think. I would only recommend it if you're like feeling like watching a crappy movie, though. And sometimes I do, Ken. Like, if you feel like watching a crappy movie, this is a great movie. This is a perfect crappy movie to watch. Yeah. If you like bad movies, you might enjoy this. Yeah. Agreed. If you like good movies, you're not going to like this. So you got to be a little bit flexible on that one. Well, that's a wrap for tonight's episode here at the O&M Stockroom. We're your hosts, Brian McGarry. And Ken O'Malley. If you enjoyed this segment of Complimentary Cinema, more episodes can be found at omstockroom.com, along with links to our Patreon page and various streaming outlets. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next Wednesday with an all-new episode.